Hi, my name is Sarah Bentley Pearson, and I am excited to share my podcast, which features wonderful talent that I've been so lucky to discover in the Southeast. This was born out of a list that I created in 2015 called Sarah's List, and through my work in real estate, which I've been doing since 2005, and styling work, and just my personal life and my personal interests, I've been able to meet so many wonderful people, and I'm excited to share them with you. Somehow, I'm really excited that you did this. Like, you're you're like a legitimate guest that I've never met personally. Yeah. Uh, so far, everybody that I've interviewed, I knew before a little bit, and I did hear you speak once, yeah. but I'm excited for you to be here and talk about your book, The Snowball System. So yeah. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm excited too, because most, honestly, most of the shows I'm on are like these pure like business development shows, but really our content is for anybody. So when you reached out, we checked out your show and we really liked what we saw. Oh, our market, thanks. Yeah. Our marketing manager's like, you need to do this. Oh, so wow. it was really fun. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I wanted to kind of start out by asking you, because I sensed from reading your book that I didn't fully finish your book, but I did read through your book. And yeah. now I'm going to go back because there's so much juicy stuff in there. Yeah. But have you done a lot of personal work? Oh, yeah. Big time. That's what I sense. <laughs> like, have you done Tony Robbins? No, no. But I think, well, well, I have a meeting with somebody that I think of as a performance expert this week. Oh. Um, is, what kind of performance? Well, so he his name's Jack, Dr. Josh Spitalanik. People can go to him. But he, he works with folks who have high anxiety, but he also works with CEOs and high-performing athletes that want to take things to the next level. Mm. Maybe I'm a mix of both. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and I have learned so much from him. Do you know Jesse Itzler? Of course. I yeah. want to get him on my show because yeah. I've met, he's spoken for us. Yeah. And I, I'm always really drawn to positive people. Yeah. He's and definitely I, got I, positivity. Yeah. He's got positive energy. And I really sensed from your book that yeah. you do too. Yeah. Well, the one thing we teach, and we've trained over 25,000 people on, on sound, like relationship building, business development stuff, people building a book of business is our normal clientele. But the idea is that if you are always helpful, you're always proactive, and you're always doing things with the client's best interest in mind, you're going to win in the long term all the time. And you're usually going to win in the short term too. So what we teach is, based, in a nut, it's how to be proactively helpful. And that's mm-hmm. not a skill most people are taught. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. There's so many points in your book, but I, I started out by looking at your website and I was so impressed that your family was front and center. Yeah. That you talked about that. Yeah. And I was curious as to whether that's a value that you were born with and you brought into your marriage and your business and your life, or was that something that was sort of learned and, and tweaked over the years? Yeah. Well, there's a bunch of research, and a guy named Dr. K. Anders Erickson is behind this. He passed away a couple years ago, but he's the worldwide expert in expertise, and he found that any complex skill in the world is earned. Nobody is born with it when it comes to complex skills. So for me, when I think about family, I think I learned it from my parents. Uh, my dad's a was a raging alcoholic. He, he Oh, mine too. Yeah. Well, we have a lot. We'll, we'll have to talk about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Okay, um, well, we'll get into that. Actually. Yeah, but you talk about low points. I mean, we would have been well below the poverty line, not every year of my childhood, but, but several. And my dad, well, without going into a lot of detail, we had some really, really low points. And 
But, but my mom stuck with him after she kicked him out of the house and said, we're at, we're at our end. He took his last drink on August 4th, 1984. He sold the bar and restaurant we owned, which was a really good idea. Right. Yeah, not a good business for an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, he'd start right. drinking at yeah. 6 a.m. with Bailey's in his coffee. But, but he really did quit that time. He's been dry ever since, sold the bar and restaurant, got a master's degree in substance abuse counseling, and spent the last 10 or so years of his career helping people with addiction habits. And it was really watching them go through that very painful and painful for me, mm. low point, mm-hmm. but then to claw out of that hole. And it took years for dad to build back trust in his community and especially with my mom, but they've celebrated 58 years of being married just, just this spring. And I think it was through the pain of all that, that I decided I don't want my daughters to have that pain. Mm-hmm. And just not that I was a great husband or dad the entire time, but really, really definitely put a lot of effort into that and making that front and center. Yeah, I, I feel like it's it's interesting. I, I go to Al-Anon and I've been in Al-Anon for like, I don't know, probably it's pretty seriously for like 15 years. Yep. But um, it's interesting growing up in an alcoholic home that you either really, like in my case, I do drink a very little bit, but I'm very guarded about yep. it. Like it's, it's, you know, I'm a drink counter and I'm very, yep. I'm very conscious of what's yep. going on around me. I'm very perfectionistic, yep. you know, because I felt all those feelings that one feels growing up in an alcoholic home. I love alcoholics. Yeah. My husband's sober 23 years, That's but, you know, but yeah. you know, like it's, it's interesting what you're drawn to and yeah. how. One of my sisters actually ha- had to go get sober, you yeah. know? So it's interesting how we all take from that. But for, this really resonated for me. Yeah. And when you were talking about what makes somebody a success, you know, being in the business world, and I do love working, but my goal, my personal goal has never been be number one. Yeah. You know, like when you get the uh, awards and that like has never resonated for me. I'm right. really about balance and trying to be successful because I feel like, especially in America, we're very, you know, material people. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, how much do you make? And it's really hard to be balanced. And, and, and that's always my personal goal. I, I have done a lot of personal work too, um, prior to getting married. But when I got a divorce, um, I'm married for the second time. I did a deep dive and I did, um, I did landmark education. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That was very profound work for me. And actually some of the threads were going through your book about authenticity, keeping your word, integrity. And I knew all these things, but they weren't like cornerstones for me. They were also very, once I had done that work, very defining moments why I got a divorce. You know, once I paid attention to you know, the importance of keeping your word and integrity and all those. I'm like, it's not here. <laughs> like, it's, I can't stay here. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. <laughs> and then I did, um, I did Tony Robbins, um, Unleash the Power Within. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit like commercial for me, but there were a lot of threads in that too. I did love that we walked on fire and that was kind of cool. And right. my partner in real estate, she and I actually did that together. Oh, that's cool. So that you was fun. Your whole life. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. But, um, and then I did Alison Armstrong's work, The Queen's Code. Are you familiar with that? I'm not. You have daughters, correct? Correct. 
great work for daughters. Mm. Really good work about understanding the differences between men and women and single focus. Like, I'm so feminine in that way that I'm, you know, constantly thinking of others and what's around me. And sometimes I wish I was like, God, I need to read this book and I need to really stick with these principles because it's it's a little hard for me. I got it. Yeah. Um, just just to build on something you said, there's a there's a there's a method for thinking about your life that might be really helpful for the audience. Mm. And it really parallels from some things in our book, The Snowball System, where we teach people to be super intentional about their relationships and in building their own expertise, their book of business, things like that. Intentionality is the key. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, but I'll supersize it right now to, to everybody's whole life and get your feedback on it. And, and truth be told, I learned this from Michael Hyatt. We've collaborated on, on some, a few things before. And, and he's got this theory and he says, there's three ways you can live your life. Uh, you can live your life drift, driven, or designed. And drift first. Drift is where you're busy, you do lots of things, you have things going on, but you're not necessarily living your life that you were meant to live. Mm. So that's the kind of thing where somebody can be busy, and but all of a sudden they sort of wake up on a, a decade birthday, like they're 40, 50, 60, whatever, and they're like, where am I at? I, I, it wasn't supposed to be this way. That's drift. Well, that's Alison Armstrong's work. Oh, so most go. people, most men... They, the midlife crisis. Yeah. If they wake they up and wake they're up. like, I thought uh, uh, the pretty wife and the well, house and the Porsche was going to make me happy. When I was happy. in college, I, yeah. right, right, right. Mm-hmm. I thought this would be yeah. the mm-hmm. thing and they did and it wasn't. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. Okay. Mid- yeah. So drift usually reveals itself at some point in midlife or some life crisis where you're like, man, it, I don't like where I'm at. Mm-hmm. So, but, it, but in the day to day, it can feel like you're, you know, making Moving progress on. or mm-hmm. doing, you're doing things. Mm-hmm. And then driven is the second way. And that's to your point where the number one or the big accolade maybe didn't, you know, that wasn't your thing because somebody can actually achieve great things in one area of their life and completely mess up the other areas of their life. Right. The big buckets are, Mm -hmm. you know, your vocation, your hobbies, your family, your fitness, your health, your financials, things like that. And it's easy for somebody to like kill it in one area and kill, actually kill the other area. Right. The third way is the way. And that's design. Mm-hmm. And that's where you take a step back and you write a plan for what do I want my life to look like in 10 years? Mm-hmm. You can pull that back to three years. Mm-hmm. You can pull that back to this week. What little things can I do this week that will put me on the path to be where I want to be in three and say 10 years? Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got a method. I can share that later if you want. But it's so powerful to write down that long-term vision and then pull it back to a short-term sprint like this week mm-hmm. and say, what do I want to do? And when you're always making progress towards that long-term vision, first, you got to define it. But secondly, make make little incremental process in, the, in your busy day-to-day life. And if you're doing that, you can feel great about what you're doing. But if you don't have the vision written down, you can no, sort of like No, and in that wondering. way, I am very, like I've been doing vision boards and writing my goals That's awesome. for like 20 years. Yep. And I, I noticed, you know, the the goals keep changing and keep growing. But and I, that's normal. Yeah, and I keep changing. You right. know, originally it was probably to, you know, um, have a child and to have a house and to have a job and, yeah. I, and blah, blah, blah. But I really, really believe in that work. And, yeah. I, and, I'm, and I'm constantly thinking about, am I making my goal too low, you know, let me just stretch myself. And and I did like that you, that you were saying that too, that just 
writing things down. You said something in, in your book that made me think that it was very important to you to kind of be balancing your life and thinking about how yes. how you were succeeding in all areas. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, this could be sexist of me, but I, I feel like to see a man like yourself really put the, your family front and center, it, you know, being I'm 52 years old and it, seeing us all in our groups that so many men mess up their personal lives. Totally. And women too. Uh, I mean, definitely. But know, it does seem like it's more men. It does seem, it I think really because does. men, you know, I always tell my friends, it's a supply and demand issue. And yeah. I think a lot of men will have something go wrong or, you know, break down in their personal lives and just find somebody else who will put up with it. Mm. And it's funny to, from a, like a, just standing back and watching a lot of friends of mine that like the quality of the women just keeps going down right. to put up with them. And, and I'm always like, well, I, you know, I really feel like I picked a great partner for me because he's willing to do the work and look at himself, but I've pushed him to do that a little yeah. bit too. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, I think you can have a more satisfying life by doing that. Without a doubt. And I, and I think about we, Becky and I just celebrated our, 30th anniversary and I think Good about our thank you and um we actually like but should, each other. Does she put, yeah <laughs> but does she put has she pushed you oh yeah yeah and I hope I have with her and I think what um if I'm truly honest I don't think I was a very good husband the first couple years mm -hmm. I'm an only child she's no joke you'll think I'm exaggerating she's the 10th of 11 kids well oh. I was I was selfish. Right. I didn't realize I was selfish. I was just used to living my life by myself all the time in this yeah. small Indiana town as an only child. Like literally 80 or 100 people in this town. So I think my first several years, I just wasn't that good of a husband. But she pushed me to be more of a team player, to really think about her more. And over time, we're just in totally, we're total synchronicity on that like things are really a nice harmony mm -hmm. but it wasn't that way in the beginning mm -hmm. and i also say like i think we were if i think of drift driven design we were almost too driven for many years about the kids and we had our own hobbies but holy moly it was hard to get time for us for me and becky because did you decide because i'm a quality time person in my love language and did did she request more time or did you like who who made sure you all made that time for yourselves? I, I think, honestly, it was just, I think we both wanted it. It was just math. Like, mm -hmm. they're, like between two kids, all their hobbies. Mm -hmm. Becky does 100-mile horse races. I do uh, national and world-level uh, ultimate Frisbee. And we, we, we had our own hobbies. And by the time you take care of the kids, take care of our own needs, it was just really hard to find time there for There wasn't herself. much left. So she would try to go to my ultimate tournaments. Like we, she went to Ireland in the spring. Like I try to go to all of her 100 mile horse races. But then there were times there'd be a softball game on the same day that I'm coaching with both girls on the team. So we'd have to split up. Like it was just hard. Mm -hmm. Like I, I just have so much empathy for people with kids. <laughs> Minor, are now have left the nest and they're doing great. And mm -hmm. we still spend a lot of time parenting and helping them. I probably spent two hours a day already with a couple issues with each daughter, but it never ends. But, um, but at, at, there's just this period of about 10 years, I think, raising kids that is just flipping hard mm -hmm. to 
find time for everything. You almost just can't. Well, and I have one child and my husband has four. Yeah. And so I've had to be like, time out, time out. I don't even know how you do we, it. We, we have to go, we have to get away right. to make sure we still like each other right. or this grind is way too hard. Well, you're smarter than we were because we didn't do it like we should have, but we just didn't make the time. Yeah, well, um, I'm a big fan of like three nights. It, El Fiana in Miami. Yeah. You know, it's like sexy and fun. It's three days, you, you know, awesome. and, and I make, I put them on the calendar now. Yeah. I'm like, we're doing it. And it, I think it's really good for both of yeah. us. So I think, I think staying, like you said, being design oriented. Yeah. 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 Word? Like writing down with your spouse or partner, like, what do we want our life to be like in 10 years? Mm-hmm. Pull that. And it only needs to be like a paragraph. Mm-hmm. Pull that back to three years. Pull that back to what are we doing this fall before the holidays? Mm-hmm. You know, as we tape this in in uh, in the fall. Yeah, like, really do you do this annually, thoughtful. or like how often do you and your wife sit down and do that? We try to think about. We, we, I think the end of the calendar year is a really nice time to mm-hmm. do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you get some time off at the end of the year, mm-hmm. and you're really mentally thinking through the next year. Mm-hmm. So, so what we did this year um, is we bought a, like a, a dry erase calendar that it's almost like a poster size it's landscape and you can see the entire year Mm. and we mapped out where should we spend time for us where do we want to go do things with a daughter when are our sports tournaments when are her horse races and we like you start marking it off Mm. and we took color coding like Mm. like orange was i took a seven we decided hey you you've been working your tail off in this thing called the pandemic you need to take some time off so by design we we orchestrated a seven-week sabbatical for me this summer. I didn't work at all. I didn't check email one time for How seven weeks. How did you weeks. do that? You just had your assistant kind of... Our team is insane. Like wow. we, we, It took us six months to get ready, mm-hmm. and we really ramped up. Uh, by the last month, we had somebody else, not me, well, me and somebody else, on every single call I get did, so with clients, with dozens and dozens of projects going on, hundreds of calls where um, I would... One of the rules was I should never be on a call alone with like six weeks to go. Then thing two, we set up an out of office message on my email that literally said, I'm not going to read any of this for seven weeks. Wow. And it took guts to do that. I was afraid clients would be mad. It was the opposite. They were happy. Mm -hmm. They got a message. Yeah, I want to talk to you about your gutsy move that you made young in your career, early in your career too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's let's do that. So so it was the thing that made it work was uh, everybody knew things that I knew. There was nothing that only I knew, so they didn't need to reach out to me. That mm-hmm. was huge. Um, thing one. Thing two was an out-of-office message and text templates and everything, that a voice message on my mobile phone all the way down to my mobile phone that basically said, I'm not checking in. If you need help, you know, contact your account manager. If you don't know who you should contact, uh, email training at bundleideagroup.com. Mm-hmm. So that, that we had somebody watching that every mm-hmm. day, that, that mm-hmm. generic email mm-hmm. address. And literally, I didn't have to check email one time in seven weeks. But I why did you do that? Do what were you feeling burnt out? What, oh. what was it you were just feeling like you couldn't come up with new ideas? What what? I was completely burnt out, Sarah. I when the pandemic hit, ninety eight percent of our you know we do business development training and coaching for experts. So Atlanta clients are like King and Spalding, Boston Consulting Group, Anthem, really big service professional services and service based companies. And when the pandemic hit, because we had historically done all live in-person trainings, literally our business went to zero. Right. Like to zero. Right. 
And we could do virtual trainings, but our clients weren't ramped up to do it. Mm. Remember, nobody did Zoom calls. And right. Teams but it calls. didn't take long for people. Yeah. yeah. So it took it took a, several months for companies to like uh, get, you know, they were worried about their cash flow forecast and things. Right. Like, Everybody was freaked internally. out at first. Ah! Yeah. And then it came, because we kept investing in clients with no charge, like, hey, let us do a webinar on how to do business development of virtual world. Mo will take you up on it. That's great. And then we talked to 500 people on Zoom. Well, then when it came back, it came back 2x. Mm-hmm. Like literally, like mm-hmm. right at 2x. We did a full year of work in the last half of that, the pandemic year. So I react to stress. Business went to zero. I, re- I react to stress by working more. So I took more than my normal load and it just kept going for two years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I know. It's so weird. My husband um, is with Merrill Lynch. Yeah. And he was home for two years. Yeah. Non-stop probably, right? Yeah. And just like not brushing his teeth till five in the call, afternoon. Call, like call, I'm call, like, this call, is call. this right. is horrible. Right. Right. And we were engaged, but and then they And you like, don't see each other. And, and the <laughs> pandemic hit. And then I was just it was oh, and my mom died like in January, oh. and then the pandemic hit like a month later. Oh. And it was just this crescendo of things. It, it was fun for like a few weeks where you're like, okay, you know, we can do some projects around the house in between and blah, blah, blah. But then it was like, oh, it's depressing. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's scary. It's scary too, because nobody knew really what was going to happen. So any business yeah. that came to you, you felt like I got to do it. Well, that's Which a good point. Which right? brings me to your point um, in your book about early on in your career when uh, the woman called you at like four in the afternoon and gave you all these details about everything you had to do. And you stayed up through the night, standing by the fax machine, freaking out, trying to do your best. And then she didn't show up. Yeah. And, you know, in my business uh, of selling real estate, how I make a living, you know, I just, um, you know, you don't you don't really get to handpick personalities. No. And real estate's an interesting business because it is very emotional. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, I've only had one time where I've just said, I just don't think this is going to be a good fit. And yeah. I referred the person to somebody else. But it is it is really impressive how through that process and that your company, I guess word got around about this lady and then yeah. you were able to be like, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. And then that really made people respect you more. Well, and I, I got to give credit to a guy named Craig that did that. He was our regional practice leader and I was a young actuary just trying to please the client doing these complicated financial projections. And it was really up to him. But that that client was about a million dollar a year client. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was probably a maybe 250,000, but it became a million dollars. But he, he, he called up and said, we're not going to work for you anymore because of how Mo was treated. Mm -hmm. So this is my boss's boss. Mm -hmm. And boy, did I learn something from that. Mm -hmm. Basically he said, our culture and how we treat our people internally is more important than money. And that like bonded me to him and that company until I I became a senior partner left. And yeah, and probably the revenue that you brought in for him too, just by standing behind besides you was very empowering. I became one of the largest revenue producers in the entire world Mm -hmm. just a few later Mm -hmm. years later. And I because I believed in the company so much. Mm -hmm. And boy, did that teach me a lesson where there's been a couple times at Bundle Idea Group, we've been at it a little less than 20 years now. We're we're started this company that does BD and, and relationship training. But then there's been a couple of times where we've had to fire ourselves from clients because it wasn't a good cultural fit 
And thank goodness we did. Every time we do, it unlocks stress. It bonds the people to our organization more and it unlocks time so that we can go focus on who are our best clients. Every time it's Yeah, and that positive. action to me also just said, you know, if it was a personal situation, this was a business, but it says yeah. self-respect. It does. It says, you know, I'm not going to be treated this way. Yeah. It's it's not right. And, you know, I it, it's like in any relationship. When yeah. you stand up for yourself and yeah. what, what's right, you you gain more uh, self-respect. Yeah. And and th- this is, goes into um, the thought process or the, the portion about... The A, B, D, and C um, personalities. When I was looking through it, I sort of thought that maybe I'm a D. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) But I'm also very OCD. (laughs) Well, those fit together. About certain things. Yeah, yeah. Like my home. Yeah. My So you might be a little bit of both of those. Yeah. You know, so it was interesting, but you are nothing like me like an actuary, like yeah. that details, like you're, you're probably, you're just the, I can't, I, I can't do those things. Yeah. Like the super analyzing down, I'm emotional things I can analyze and beat to death, yeah. but like numbers and things like not that. It's not, it's just, it's not even the way I see the world Yeah, because, you know, I invest in real estate myself and, you know, I, I have the information when somebody like Julie puts out the reports, I'm looking at the reports. I want to see what the months of inventory are and all of that. It would just bust my head open trying to go through it, but I want to see it. But when you have that kind of client, so I'm a more of a global thinking person. I want to look at the big picture. And when you have somebody who really gets caught in the details with somebody in my personality, what would you recommend? Yeah. Well, let, let's teach the audience this model because we can do it really yeah. quickly and yeah. they'll understand it mm-hmm. more deeply. Um, but the, but there's there's four major ways people think, tons of neuroscience behind it, hooking folks up to functional MRI machines or fMRI machines to measure blood oxygenation in the brain so we can tell which part of the brain is firing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's four major hubs of thinking and then lots of spokes that, that hang off of those. You can learn the four major hubs with, I think it's easy to think of two opposing pairs. So A versus C and and B versus D in the model that you know. Mm -hmm. So the first opposing pair is facts versus feelings. Mm -hmm. So the facts, like you're saying, like it would. But I'm a thinker, not a feeler in the Myers-Briggs. Ah, well, but that's a different thing. That's a different thing. They're related. There's some overlap, Mm -hmm. but not totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. but I get it. Mm -hmm. Um, So so facts versus feelings. Facts is somebody who really loves to analyze numbers, facts, logic, lawyers, financial advisors, sometimes people that do a lot of analytical calculations. Mm -hmm. The opposite of that is the feelings. How is everybody feeling? Being able to sense that, right? Just like intuitively know how that office is right out there and how people are feeling right now. Mm-hmm. Facts versus feelings. The other two are big picture versus details or the vision versus the plan. So I get the sense you're really visionary mm-hmm. and you can like think intuitively of the big idea and where you want to take your, mm-hmm. your book of business because you do such great real estate work. Mm-hmm. Well, the opposite of that is what are we going to do this week and next week is it like in a linear order to get yes. that done? Maybe you do that. Maybe you don't. Yeah. So I, I don't do that as, as that's what I'm, you know, the stuff. systems here, you know, I'm, I'm a little reactionary, but yes. Okay. Yes. 
Well, that so those are the four. Mm-hmm. Well, ninety five percent of people in the database that have taken this assessment have a mix of those. There's mm-hmm. not only one. Mm-hmm. Usually, you're two, three, or mm-hmm. four of those. Mm-hmm. So I'm a heavy analytical and visionary. Right. But I'm less on the details, and uh, I've got a decent amount of empathy, but it's not my strong suit. Mm. But I am honestly not good at project plans and things like that. So I have to outsource that to the team, Mm -hmm. have them help me with it. Mm -hmm. I have all these complicated apps that yell at me to say, don't forget, you promised somebody to do the thing today. You got to do the thing. But well, my assistant I, Caroline, I mean, she's way more on top of things than I am. I'm like, okay. People on those yeah. show that can't see Caroline, but she's grinning from ear to ear. She's like, yeah, yeah, I'm that person. Yeah, but that's, right. that, yeah, so need, it makes this best team, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. if you're the visionary and you've got the empathy and you're out there connecting with mm-hmm. people and they love Sarah mm-hmm. to death, right? Yeah. But it helps to have somebody else go nudge, nudge, nudge. You prompt us, you yes. promise Philippe, mm-hmm. you know, the yeah. walkthrough today. Can, mm-hmm. Are you still going to yeah. do it? So all these things, all four things are so important, both in business, but also in our personal life. So if we can learn to flex, to be able to say, oh, I'm not high detailed, but I'm talking to a detailed thinker right now, maybe I ought to go with down in a little more in the weeds than I normally would. Or I'm more of a factual person, but this person, I'm talking with somebody that it sounds to me like they just need to talk this out. Well, I might normally just sort of poo-poo that because I don't like that talking stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but maybe I should just spend some time with them and ask them some questions. So the ability to flex in the different areas can be a huge unlock for performance, both in business, but also in our personal lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you and your wife similar or ah. the way you look at the, like, I was going to ask you if you had read D- Ray Dalio's books. And oh, done, I love them all. And, Cause all the analytics. Isn't he so cool? And data, oh like my I, gosh. I I'm like, out. he's such a stud. Like I like, I I, but he, he has a little bit of that Tony Robbins that uh, like, um, I'll tell you a quick, funny story. Do it. So I did Tony Robbins with my partner, Michelle wing. And we, you know, we're in this huge stadium and he, you know, he's up there on the stage and he's so powerful and he's, talking really strong like this about business. And then he's got this emotional side, right? Yeah. So he's like hitting all the buttons. Yeah. And that night I had a dream like that I was, we were in love or something. And I woke up in with the morning. With Tony? With Tony. <laughs> and I woke up in the morning and I'm like, I am one of 3,000 women that have had this, that he has gotten in my mind. I am so cheesy. I, I can't even believe I had such a cheesy dream. Because, because in reality, I don't think that way. But like, the point is, is to have that to have that feminine and that masculine yeah. for a woman yeah. is 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 very appealing. And yeah. so I guess my point is like Ray Dalio, you know, has that too. He, he really is like meditates and feeling, but yeah. he does all this analyzing of personalities. Yeah. And I really um, find it fascinating. I'm only like 2% of women are like me. I'm a uh, thinker, not a feeler. Interesting. So I, I could have be going through something very emotional and my heart could be like, Oh, I really want it. But my head's like, but that's not good for you, Sarah. Yes, and I will make a decision based on that. Yeah. So like when people are, you know, are constantly caught in negative relationships because yeah. of what they feel, I'm like, yeah. but the facts are the facts. Yeah. And a lot of my friends are like, Sarah, you're so harsh. I'm like, I can't help it. I'm sorry. You know, he's a dirt bag. Get Let's keep it. moving. <laughs> so, Get you know, so there. I'm curious yeah. about like 
how you and your wife, if you've done the Myers Briggs, or to yeah. see your differences. Well, the 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 I don't know that as well because I'm I'm certified in this one we're talking about. It's called right. the Herman Brain Dominance Instrument. But um, there's three million people that have taken the HBDI, the model we've been talking mm-hmm. about, and many people happen to be married. Some of it's by design to do control and experimental groups. Some of it's just with three million people, a bunch just randomly right. happen to be married, so they can pull those out. And what they found is that generally speaking, not for everybody, but generally speaking, most couples have one area that they're almost exactly the same in and then one of the two opposing pairs where they're opposites. That's interesting because my husband and I are both very A-types personalities. So very factual. Yeah, and, you know, can be like very argumentative and be very, we're both demanding and da-da-da-da. Yeah. But but yet, as we've gotten to know each other even more over the years, you know, we can see the nuance. But it it is interesting because sometimes I've thought, oh, well, you know, I I, I don't want to attract a beta, but... I like an alpha, but an alpha can be hard sometimes right. because it just is you're so you're so similar. Right. But then when you break us apart, we are really different too. Right. Like he's introvert, I'm extrovert, right. blah, blah, blah. But it is very interesting, like from speaking to me, because you were saying like in deciding your clients, I'm like, well, well you know, we, I can't do a deep dive into everybody's personality prior right. to meeting with them and working with them. If right. they call me up, say, Sarah, I want to work with you. Yeah. How do you, what are some things you pick up? to figure out, oh, this person's really factual. Oh, well, so there's a way to ask them that's helpful to them and gives you the information you need. So I'll this say- This is in your book too. Yeah, it okay. is, but but this yeah. is a, a real easy hack that mm-hmm. is a huge unlock for people from a performance perspective. So here's what you do. So no matter what business you're in, or you can also do this on the personal side, like a, you, we could give an example about inviting somebody to dinner too, but let's do a business one. We'll do real estate since you're okay. in real estate. Yeah. And everybody's- dealt with real estate yeah. agents, mm-hmm. right? Because your audience is high-end. They've Hopefully they're hiring Ansley Atlanta because <laughs> Ansley is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Plug there. <laughs> I've used Ansley yeah. for three houses in 10 years and Bono himself and the whole organization is amazing. And you gave amazing. the example at the amazing. meeting here how like Bono is kind of more global thinking yeah. and you yeah. wanted details. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. So here's the hack, everybody. So um, what you can do is let's say uh, you're a real estate agent. You can apply this to whatever you want. And you've got somebody that you've just met, and it's important for you to have a first meeting go well. Mm -hmm. But that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. So if you're a partner at King & Spalding, or you're a consultant at BCG, or you're an accountant at at one of the big four or wherever, or real estate agent, financial advisor, anything, what you do is you shoot over an email, you have a verbal conversation that says, hey, really excited about this first meeting. There's four major things we could talk about. I'd love for you to give me some input on how much time we spend on each one. It can be all the time. It can be none of the time. Mm -hmm. Here are the four things. Mm -hmm. So now what you're going to want to do, audience, is you're going to say, what do I usually talk about that's factual Mm -hmm. or Mm data-based? So as a real estate agent, you'd look at comps for the house, right? right? Um, The second thing, what do I usually talk about that's practical or procedural? What's your timeline, your game How chart? things are going to go. Yeah, what market. are the steps, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So for a real estate agent, it'd be, well, we're going to do this, and it takes two weeks, we're going to do this, and it takes three days, and we're going to do this, and that's we're going to bring your house mm-hmm. to market. And different for every clientele, right? Because they might have to stage the house, they might have to paint a room, whatever. So that's the process of the procedural thing. That's the second. The third thing is emotive and relationship-based. So 
you might say something like, sometimes our clients and first meetings, just, we just want to get to know each other and get to know each other personally. We're going to do a lot of work together. It might be important to bond. Mm-hmm. So that's the third thing. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth thing is visionary or conceptual or innovative or strategic. So the fourth thing, if you're real estate, you might say, or the fourth thing is you might, we might want to talk about strategically how we're going to bring your house to market in the way that's going to get, reach your goals, Mm -hmm. whether that's a fast sale or waiting out for the biggest offer or whatever. Mm -hmm. So those four things, again, audience are data or facts, number one, number two, the process, number three, getting to know each other just personally, and number four, strategy and innovation. So you can craft an email or have a quick phone call that says, hey, you know, we've got an hour together. These are the four things we usually talk about. Mm-hmm. How would you like to spend the time? Mm-hmm. Well, what they'll do mm-hmm. is they'll say, wow, these all look good. I'd like to spend 15 minutes each. Or they might go, well, I don't care at all about getting to know each other. I want to know the comps and how we're going to sell this house for the most money. So they're they're replying back basically with the way they think. Right. And now you've got your secret decoder ring and your meeting's going to go off perfectly. Right. You're giving them what they want. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because mm-hmm. instead of selling, I'll do air quotes around that, instead of talking about what you do in the way you would buy yourself, mm-hmm. which is what most people do, mm-hmm. you're going to talk about what to do in the way they want to purchase it. Totally different. Yeah. And I'm a very relational person. You know, I like to work with people that I like, but sometimes, you know, sometimes you're like, I hope, I don't know if this client will be listening. It's really funny, but he called me about listing his house and then he said, but I, I just have to tell you one thing before you come over. I have a snake. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and I was like, okay, oh, okay well, I won't be coming in that room. And you're going to have to get rid of that snake before we list the house. Oh, good point. And he, we ended up becoming good friends. And he, but it kind of like freaked me out a little bit at right. first, you right. know, and I ended up liking right. him so much. And Is he, the snake in a cage? <laughs> it was like a in lock? a room in this glass thing. And it was like, he just liked the snake. I will, I, what I could get. Well, another thing I thought was interesting that, um, you touched on more habits yeah. and that, the elephant, um, versus the rituals. Yes. And, um, I, I wanted to talk about that because I, I, I love to work with moms that have gotten that maybe get a divorce. And, you know, my mom was really big into real estate. My mom had been married twice and she um, ended up kind of becoming a little mogul and with little houses. And it, you know, she um, passed in 2020, but my mother was um, somebody who was pretty scorned by her, her divorce and her decisions. And so I learned a lot from her decisions that when I got a divorce, I bought a house and I kind of took everything I had, but I made sure I bought a house. And luckily my timing with interest rates was really good and I locked in and then, you know, I have another house and, you know, she was very good at helping me plot. But when I talk to women who maybe didn't work while they were married and now they're going to work or they're changing careers or anything like that, one thing that I noticed from myself, from my early days of being a mommy to like working more um, like I do now, that my habits were were different. You know, I would get up, I'd put on my workout clothes, I would take Pearson to preschool, you know, I'd get a Starbucks, I would work out, you know, I was, I was not up doing things like, you know, my, it was more touchy feely. Could I spend time with Pearson and the habits were, were something I just had to slowly start changing, you know, right, and, right. and, and it took a while 
to get those habits in a way that I was much more efficient. Right. So um, I, I wanted to talk to you about, about that. And I, I didn't really understand the elephant part of it. Yep, so yep. can you explain that? I sure can. Well, it's a, it's a metaphor I've learned from others that is, it, it, it describes how our brain works. So if we imagine a rider on an elephant, the rider symbolizes our thinking. Like with that, we intend to do one thing or we want, we want to do one thing versus another. The ability to analyze and decide on priorities. But the elephant symbolizes our habits. Um, in, in our model, actually, it relates to our model before, the analytical way of thinking and the visionary or the uh, strategic way of thinking are the writer. They're like, they're, they're parts of the brain that humans have and human ha- have alone. Mm-hmm. We hear about how, about, and aside, we hear about how smart dolphins are, but it's like a thin layer of cells that they have to do analytical thinking and creative thinking. Like it's nothing compared to the humans. Mm. No, no animals, no mammals, no animals have our capacity to think. So that's the writer. The, the elephant are the processes and the emotions. Other mammals have those. Our dogs can tell how we feel and they like to go to get up at the same time, go to bed at the same time and eat at the same time mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. So the writer and the elephant. We think all the time that our thinking is ruling the roost, but it's not at all. It's our habits. So now imagine a rider on that elephant. They're going in the jungle. They're walking along. They, they're steering that elephant. They feel like they're in control. But let's say a tree falls down behind the elephant. Mm-hmm. The elephant's running and the rider's just along for the ride. Mm-hmm. So the, the elephant is typically really in control. So... We, we think we're smarter than we are in some ways by thinking we can think, but really our habits are determining what we're doing every single hour of every single day. Right. So what do you do? Well, what, what we want to do is we want we, to, A, realize we've got habits and they're ruling the roost, and then B, pick the right habits so that we're doing the things that are most productive for us and for the people around us. So... Can I give a little, like a hack on how to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so mm-hmm. here it is. This is, I, I found this as like the one of the biggest game changers for me ever. I had tried, I had thought about writing a book for like five, six, seven years and never made the time to do it until I did this one thing. You schedule, and by the way, we had a book released to the public like two years later, including mm-hmm. the finding of a major agent nailing down a major publisher, writing the book. Like once you made the decision. Yeah. mm -hmm. But it was more than a decision. It was the habits. So what I did was, um, and anybody can do this, is you pick 15 minutes once a week that you're going to do something we call the MIT process, most important things process. 15 minutes once a week. I'm a 3 p.m. at Friday guy. You can be Saturday morning, Sunday night, Monday morning, whatever you want. But pick 15 minutes once a week, put it in your calendar, repeats forever, and just label it Moe's MIT process or whatever you want. What you do in that 15 minutes is you take a quick look at your next week, mm-hmm. busy or not busy, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And you pick three things that are going to get you closer to your long-term vision we talked about writing down. Three things once a week. Everybody's busy. They have the swirl of all kinds of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. But we've always got time to do three things. Mm-hmm. What should the three things be? Well, they should satisfy three criteria that spell B-I-G. Our train, our company's called Bundle Idea Group, mm-hmm. or BIG for short, so we name these B-I-G. Pick three things that, that B have the biggest impact. If you only have 15 minutes to work on your long-term self, pick three things that 
have the biggest impact within those 15 minutes. Got 15 hours? Great. Pick big things that fill up 15 hours. So, but don't choose things that are easy. Choose the things that have the biggest impact. That's the B. The I, this is critical. Write them down so they're in your control. I is in your control, audience. So what you want to do there is say you want to have lunch with your boss. You wouldn't say have lunch with Sally, your boss. You'd say ask for lunch with Sally, who's your boss. If you always write these so they're in your control, you can always get three out of three and you're doing what you can control. It's all you can control anyway. So you're making progress. So like in writing the book, were you putting on Friday afternoons, were you putting in time slots to actually sit down and write the book? Yeah. In the beginning, it was uh, for a nonfiction book like The Snowball System, our book, you actually start with writing a book proposal. So first I had to learn how to write a book proposal. Then I wanted had to write the book proposal. And then you shop that and you find an agent. We were lucky enough to get an A-list agent. She said no at first, but she said yes after we refined it. Mm-hmm. So I'd ask for feedback. And then um, once you find an A-list agent, it's easy to find a publisher. But mm-hmm. it's super hard to find an A-list agent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it would change every week. In the mm-hmm. beginning, it was just reading a book that was literally titled How to Write a Nonfiction Book Proposal. <laughs> you know, my three things were read chapter one, two, and three. And then later on, it would start to write it. And then it would shop it and things like that. Right. Yep. And then the G of BIG is growth-oriented. you got to choose things that, that you would do this week that your year from now self would say, I'm really glad I did that. And if you just 15 minutes once a week, if you write three things that are that that will have the biggest impact given the time you've got, scale it up or down given how busy you are, write them so they're I in your control. You can always get three out of three. No one's to blame but you. And write them so they're G growth oriented. If you do that every week, it is amazing at the progress. Yeah, I mean, you really just have to write things down. I mean, I, I started, I'm, I've been doing... Um, I've been exercising a lot and since I was about 20. And, I love it. You know, uh, so I, I, you know, in in addition to my work stuff, I put my workouts in. Yes. Too. Because you could do this you know, at the same time. Like, look at, yeah, when I should I do classes, it? Yeah, I classes or I used to teach yep. classes, but I, I don't it. teach them anymore. But, I, you know, I've always put that in. So then, like, it's there. Yeah. You know? It's and, blocked off. And, I mean, I, the, the health thing is very big for me. And so I feel like, you know, people's habits are, are poor, Yeah. you know, who, who aren't healthy. And so, you know, you're starting with that, but I found, I found that this, this thing about habits was huge and really yeah. helped me grow to be more of the person that I wanted to be yeah. in changing my habits, but they, but it's hard to do, you know, and it's, hard ha- habits are hard to break. Yes. And most yeah. people don't do it. And mm-hmm. if we think of this one to two punch of um, writing down a long-term vision. That's so important because you've got it in your head. But if you don't act on it, it's Well, yeah, and I right? have a quote in here, best tools in the world only work if you use it. Yeah. And right. I mean, so I've done so many of these like goal-setting things that sometimes yeah. I'm like, this is such BS if I'm not going to do it. Bingo. You know, so I try to do, I try to really work on the things I know I'm going to do and then yep. maybe next year I'll get a little stronger and next year a little bit stronger. And I, I liked how it. you said- working, you know, smaller on smaller little changes. Yeah, that's exactly versus right. versus being, you know, a lot of times with with uh, you know, quantum physics and all the, you know, I started out by reading all those books the secret, you know. Yeah, you you want to you want to put it out there and yeah, I'm going to digress real quickly because you said something um at the beginning of the book about people will say, "Well, I want to make more money." And 
you know, I had, a, I had a friend recently tell me, you know, I'm just so sick of the fact that we never have money and da, 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 da. And I was like, well, what does money mean to you? Yeah. You know, because for me, money means freedom. Yes. It means travel. It yes. means time with my Doing husband, time want. with my son, like yep. fun. Yes. And, you know, sometimes you can get those elements without money. Right. You know, and right. when I, um, was doing all that personal work I was telling you about. I did a, a course called Lifebook, and um, it's done uh, by a um, man in Chicago, John. I can't remember his last name, but he divides your life into ten categories, and you give a strategy and your premise Ooh, for that. that. Sounds like design. It, it's just, right? it's fully yeah. designed. Yeah. But I did I picked up in there the things that mean so much to me. Yeah, you know, we all think. The house, the car, the this, the that. But when you really feel loved and happy and excited about life, yep. sometimes it's just, you know, clean press sheets and fresh flowers. Right. You know? And right. if you really get clear on those things, and I, I love that you said that because money is... A lot of people who have money aren't happy. Oh, totally. So it's like, you know, and people could be like, well, you know, I'd rather be miserable and rich than broke and whatever but yeah but why why wouldn't we want to have a life designed the way we want it and i've been thinking so much about that because you know as you get older you're like your time you're you're it's moving time's moving quickly that's right and how can you define that so i there were so many things in your book that really resonated with me just sort of on a spiritual just your premise of life. I'd love to meet your wife. I mean, well, she's amazing. And, I'm uh, sure she is. Yeah, she really is. <laughs> I am sure she is. You know, she, um, well, let me, let me talk about money a little bit and maybe we can bring up Becky later. But um, the, I have a really clear view on money. I got the lucky, well, not lucky, but we won a project where we trained the, the art experts at Sotheby's, not the real estate arm. That That's a whole, they just licensed yeah, the I name. Know. They're like, I used to be with Sotheby's. They're not really even Sotheby's. <laughs> yeah, I know. But um, yeah, so we worked with the top 500 art experts worldwide. New York, London, Paris, Hong Kong. They're four major um, uh, centers. And I got to meet the the people who call on the richest people in the world. Did you see the lost Leonardo? No. Write that down when we're done. You just watch that movie. It's all about art and oh, hiding it in Switzerland and all that oh, stuff. Okay, so keep going. Well, yeah, yeah. Like, but but like, yeah, yeah, Da Vinci, like we, we would uh, we would give a training class and I'd walk through the hallway and uh, there'd be a $60 million Rip Rothko on the right. wall. It was super cool. Mm-hmm. But one of the people I got to know really well because we were we were uh, commissioned by the board and the CEO was their CEO, Sotheby's CEO for about 20 years was a guy named Bill Ruprecht, and we're still close friends. We just were emailing the other day. And we deployed, you know, our system for all their art expects across the world. So I got to know Bill well. Well, he left Sotheby's, retired, and then we caught up a couple years later in New York. And I was always wanted to ask him this, and I'd never done it. And I said, hey, Bill, you've personally worked with, called on, and was the client relationship manager for... Multi, like dozens of billionaires. Mm-hmm. At the time, there were about a thousand billionaires in the world. Mm-hmm. And he personally knew hundreds of them, mm-hmm. like personally. Mm-hmm. And I said, what is it like to have that level of money? Because mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm not a billionaire. Mm-hmm. We've done well, but not anywhere near billion. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, it doesn't mean anything. He said, Mo, there are people who are nice. There's people who's mean. There's people who are good fathers and mothers and those who aren't. There's people who are kind and those who who crap all over everybody. He's, he's like, here's the, he said, there's people with good taste and really poor oh, taste. Oh, yeah. Like, it is, it means 
nothing. It right. literally doesn't yeah. correlate to anything yeah. other. The only thing that having money correlates to is having money. That's it. So uh, <laughs> what's what way more important is, are you living the life you want to live? Do you have meaningful relationships? Are you helpful to others? Do people think of you in nice ways? Like those, those really matter. Yeah. When you're in your deathbed, like you're looking back at your life, you want to feel good about it. Exactly. Keeping things more simple you know, you can gain more happiness with, with, you know, keeping things more quiet. And yes. so anyway, it's very, well, we will wrap this up because we could go on for ages. I, I find your, your book is much more than a, like a, how to be successful book. Yeah. Like it's, it's really about how to have your life be more of a success, Yeah. which is what we've been talking about. So yeah. Do you have anything? Well, I'd love for you to tell um, the audience about your company name and a little bit more about where they can find the book. I went to your website and yep. then it, the book was there and it said, how do you want to buy it? And I went to click, click, Amazon click. and right. I downloaded it. Right. So, right. Yeah. Well, the easy thing to do would be to go probably to MoBunnel.com. Mm-hmm. So Mo is just, there's lots of ways to spell that. So it's M-O is Mo and then Bunnel is B-U-N-N-E-L-L, two N's and two L's. Mm-hmm. MoBundle.com. It's got our story and you can you can subscribe to our podcast. You can grab our book, The Snowball System, from there. It's at every major retailer in the world. Been translated to Russian, Chinese, all kinds of different languages. And it's really a it's a book about how to grow relationships and a book of business. And I hope people that that need that kind of thing just grab it right away. But honestly, to your point, Sarah, it's like really a book on yeah, what's underneath that is how do you live your life in a proactively helpful way? Mm-hmm. And that's that's cool stuff. Yeah. Yep. It's fun. Yeah. It's fun. I so really look, enjoy it. If I can, if I can, let me leave the audience with this: is that this we've talked about so many cool things. If you do one thing, audience, spend a moment right now, today, sometimes just spend. It only takes 15, 20 minutes, but but write down what you want your life to look like in ten years, and then go to your calendar. Fifteen minutes once a week, call it the MIT process, schedule it, make it a recurring meeting. I'm Friday at three o'clock. Every Friday at three, I'm doing this. Pick your time slot, mm-hmm. put that in your calendar, call it MIT process. And then every week, just, just pick three things the next week you're going to do that are going to have a big impact, are in your control and growth oriented. If you, that move you closer to that long-term vision. And if you do those two things, you'll be able to live the life you want. So Friday at three o'clock, are you planning quality time with your family on the weekends and things too? Do you actually even write that part in as well? Yeah, that usually happens more at 6 p.m. where Becky and I are having happy hour. (laughs) (laughs) And then you talk about the weekend. Yeah, so mostly what I do in my MIT process is a little more business oriented. It's like, what three things do I want to do? Like right now, Mm -hmm. uh, my number one MIT this week is we're nailing down the publishing agreement for book number two. Well, Mm -hmm. that's really important to me. I'm super excited about Mm -hmm. it. I've got to get that done Mm because that's going to unlock actually writing the book, Mm -hmm. which has been bouncing around in my head. So, But then what I do with Becky is typically Friday night, Saturday morning, we're sitting down like, hey, what do we do, want to do this next week? Who do we want to see? What do we want to do? What do we want to cook out? You know, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And that's where we sort of synchronize over a, a quick little happy hour. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, that, I think you're doing life pretty well, it sounds like. so. Well, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Thank you so much. Me. Thank you so much for yeah. coming. I, I really appreciate it. it. Well, you, you have a great interviewing style, and I appreciate you dug mm-hmm. into the book, and this has been awesome. I'll be promoting the show. Oh, time. thank you yep. so much. Okay.
So I'm super psyched about my sponsor for the podcast. She's a great friend of mine and also a previous guest. Her name is Lisa Stein. Her work is stunning. We all layer it and wear it all the time. It's great jewelry to wear day to night. I barely go a day without it, and I think you would too once you start collecting it. She's been so nice to give all of my listeners a discount. When you go to lastein.com, you put in Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, 15, 